This is, is such a thrilling day. Uh, so thankful that our brother Tom has been willing to say yes to the call of God. Uh, Tom's been doing that for a long time in his life. He uh, surrendered his life to follow Jesus back when he was in college at Auburn University, which I think within itself is quite an accomplishment. <laughs> but even more than that, what I love about Tom and Sarah is that years ago they surrendered their lives to be on mission for God. Uh, it, it didn't take him coming to Landmark to know our job is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. So we're very blessed that this man has once again said yes. You see, right now, we're, we're studying a man in the book of Jonah that when God asked him to go, he said no. He didn't say yes. As we studied last week, what we all thought was a children's story is actually very applicable to us. And, and he said no, at least in a human's perspective, for good reasons. God had asked him to go preach in the wicked, cruel city of Nineveh. And, and that would be like in our lifetime, some of us and beyond, in, in World War II, if, if a Jewish rabbi was asked to go to the streets of Berlin and call them to repentance. And that's the way Jonah looked at it. How dare that God would put me in that position, and how dare that God would be so gracious to these people. So let's go back into the book. We'll, we'll close out chapter 1, verse 17. Listen to what Scripture says. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. The word there for provided is appointed. This fish was called and appointed by God to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now that sounds so crazy impossible to us. But there have been times in the history of the world where this has happened. In 1891, there were two ships um, searching for whales off the coast of the Falkland Islands in South America. One of the ships capsized, and, and they, they decided that both of those men had drowned. They only found one. They found the other when they had caught this big well, came to the shore, split his stomach open, and kicking around was the second sailor. And, and, and now they are able to rescue him. It took him about four weeks to get back consciousness and not be so confused. But for the rest of his life, he told this story. There's one issue, though, that happened with him for the rest of his life, his hands... His face, his body was bleached white from the gastric juices in the well stomach. How crazy. Did that happen naturally? We believe Jonah happened miraculously. He didn't have the stains to show it. But what an experience. So he's down in the belly of this well, and Jonah does what any smart person would do. He prays. Look at verse 1, chapter 2. From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths. Well, we read chapter 1, didn't we? I, I thought it was the sailors who hurled him. Well, they might have, but they're being the hands of God. God had hurled him into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. 
I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet will I look again, pay close attention to this, toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to, here we go again, your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts, shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Watch what happened. And the Lord commanded this fish, and it vomited Jonah out into the dry land. Would this not make the greatest episode of man versus wild you've ever seen, right? I mean, I mean I've seen Bear Gillis be in some bad situations. But here's this guy who is literally vomited out on the shore with seaweed all around him. Now, I don't know who was more thankful. Was it Jonah or was it the fish, okay? But, but they were glad to be rescued from each other. Now, here's what I want you to see today. If you're taking notes, look at this, this label called Jonah's Experience. Because Jonah experiences something that, that we need to experience if we're going to be right with God. First of all, he experiences God's severe mercies. We don't use that term a lot. But sometimes the best thing someone can be in a merciful way is severe. If you're a parent today and you say to me, okay, buddy, I love my children too much to discipline. I'll just let them do whatever they want to do. You don't love them. That's not love. You want the best for them. And sometimes that means you have to discipline we got a lot of coaches in here today. Then I hear some of the players who played for you talk, talk about what a challenge it was to play for you and how tough you were on them and how you expected so much. But I've also heard those same players say, 10 years later, I'm a better man because I was coached by him. Because sometimes the most merciful thing to do is to say we expect something. So Jonah starts there, but in the long run, he's going to end in God's amazing grace. But watch the journey. First of all, the scripture said he went down, okay? Down into Joppa, down into the ship, down in the belly of the ship, down to the bottom of the ocean, all the way down. And the Bible also says he went really deep. So deep that what we just heard was he finally finds himself in an awful place, the belly of death. Now the word there for death actually is sheol which is the Hebrew word for being in the place of the unseen. And that's what he felt like, except God did see him. King James Version actually translates this in the belly of hell. So he has hit rock bottom. And we said last week, because hitting rock bottom is not the worst thing to ever happen to you. In fact, it might be, like with Jonah, the best thing. But listen, it's not enough just to hit rock bottom. A lot of people hit rock bottom, and they get angry and they get bitter, and they blame somebody else. A lot of people hit rock bottom, and they stay the rest of their life in that depressed state. They never get out of it. So it's not enough just to 
hit the bottom, God could use it. The next thing is you got to do what Jonah did. He cried out. Charles Spurgeon said the best prayers are cries. They're not normally long. It's when you finally hit the bottom and you don't have much to say, but all you can say is, save me, help me, deliver me, be merciful to me. And that's where Jonah ended up. And then here's the really, really, really good part of it is when he cried out, God answered. And so he arrives back over here in God's amazing grace. And so today, what we're going to talk about for just a few moments is how we can experience that. Now, you've probably experienced something similar to this in your life. Well, you did something really stupid, put you in a bad position, and somehow you were delivered. Uh, years ago, um, Joe Donaldson, our brother, used to own a cabin up on Lake Martin. And he had offered it to me to go take a study sabbatical. So, so I went up there and spent about three days just studying. It was wonderful. One afternoon, though, after I'd, I'd finished, it was getting late in the afternoon. I thought, okay, he told me I could use his jet ski, okay? So I got out on his jet ski, love Lake Martin. I'm going all around it, you know. And then, you know, it's starting to get dark. So I turn around to go back to his cabin. Well, I can't find it. I, I go in and out of slews, you know, in and out thinking, please, something, I've got, and I just couldn't. I mean, I'm just desperate. I'm thinking, you know, am I going to, you know, sink his jet ski? Am I going to camp out, you know, on some bank over here? What am I going to do? Because it's getting so dark, I'm about to be in trouble. And there were no cell phones to use in that day. And so, man, I'm panicking. And so finally I'd say, okay, well, I just, I, I found this, this gas station on the lake. My luck, it was closed, but I'm desperate. So I walk up to the gas station. I knock on the door, and there was a man in it. And he came out, and I said, I, I don't know what to do, but I'm desperate. You know, I, I'm staying at this cabin. I'm out. I can't find it. He said, well, whose cabin is it? I said, Joe Donaldson. He said, I sold him that cabin. I can tell you exactly how to get back to that slough. I kissed the man. <laughs> at least I wanted to, all right? I mean, he was my savior, all right? I needed some help. I still have a chill down my back. Just, I was so desperate. I don't know what I would have done. And guys, you've been in that place in your life, and you don't have to tell me again when you walk out the door, buddy, that was really stupid. I know it was stupid, okay? So be quiet. I mean, you don't, you don't have to tell me that, but you've been in that place before in your life where you've done something that got yourself in trouble, and you don't know how you're getting out of it. And honestly, I can tell you a lot worse stories than me getting lost on a jet ski. I've done some really stupid things that got me in a whole lot worse trouble where I truly needed a Savior. And that's what's happening to Jonah. So here's what I want you to see this morning. I'm calling this prerequisites to getting grace. I love that term, getting grace. Well, what does that mean? It's when grace stops just being a great theological point, a great intellectual thing to understand it's when you understand it deep in your soul. When you just don't say, well, isn't that cool that God's gracious? And you know what? Grace will cover it, so I'll do whatever I want to. And isn't that cool we don't live under law and under grace? And no, 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 no. I I'm talking about when, when it goes so deep into you that you get it and you come up on the other side and now you're so 
thankful God could ask you anything and you do it. You get it. You don't just understand it. You experience it. And it transforms you. And that's what happened to Jonah. He says this, I called to the Lord and he answered me. I called for help and you, God, listened to my cry. So just imagine the relief that Jonah felt when he was spit up on the shore alive. How do we get that? Prerequisites to grace. You say, what do you mean by prerequisites? Well, you, you understand this. I mean, when you were back in college or school, a lot of times you would sign up for a class and they'd say, okay, you, you want to take calculus two, but before you take calculus two, you got to take what? You're smart. Calculus one, okay? Now, I've never taken calculus, but I thought it sounded smart, all right? For, for basket weaving, there were no prerequisites, right? But, but, but somehow, there are these prerequisites. Now, why do they give you prerequisites? Because if you don't get that, you're never going to make it in two. If you don't understand the foundation, you're going to flunk out. And guys, if we don't understand this foundation, these prerequisites to grace, we're never going to get it. Let me give you these three points rather quickly. Number one, you must grasp that you deserve nothing but condemnation. Well, that sounds harsh. And that's especially hard for us to hear in the day that we live. Because we have not been taught our biggest problem is sin. In our culture, we've been taught our biggest problem is our low self-esteem. And we even say, don't make me feel guilty. I should never have to feel guilty. And church has even become simply a, a Christian place of therapy to, to build up your self-esteem and to give you a list of things where you can improve your life. That's not the teaching of Scripture. We're not, as culture would say, at heart, we're all good people. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, Paul goes to great lengths in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, the Gentiles are lost. Romans chapter 2, the Jews are lost. Romans chapter 3, everybody's lost. He's got the gall to say, there is no one good. Because he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, we've got a culture that makes this idea of grace almost unnecessary. Because I, I, I'm taught to believe I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I need some improvement, and God might help me improve. It's not just unnecessary, but it's almost become an insult. Because that says you can't do it. If someone ever come to you you know, sort of a haughty attitude and forgave you for something you didn't think you did? You know, someone says, oh, buddy, I, I just got to come to you, brother, and I just want to tell you that, that I forgive you. And you think, I've not done anything. I'm going to slap him in the face. I, I, I don't need forgiveness. You know what I mean? You, you got this. Sometimes I think that's about the way we are with God. We, we've come to the point where we, we're not so sure we need it. At least not much of it. So number one, you, you've got to understand that you have brought yourself to a place of condemnation. And number two is that you've got to understand that you're incapable of saving yourself. You see, when you come face to face with your own sinfulness, another word for sinfulness really would be selfishness, 
when you come to realize really how full of pride you are in yourself, then you're starting to get grace. And that might happen in a lot of different ways. It may happen because you had a moral failure that everybody saw. And you were humbled. Or it might happen that one day you read the Sermon on the Mount and you thought, I could never live up to Jesus' standards. Or for many, it will come when you get married and you never thought you were a selfish person. And now you recognize that you just want to do what you want to do. Or maybe when you have children and you think, you know what? This is cramping my style. But at some point in your life, you come to that point. And here's, here's the next point, though. You know you can't fix yourself. Uh, Jonah says, the bars of the jail are closed on me forever. Now, that's sort of insulting, too. Because we as Americans think we can fix things. If I work hard enough, if I make enough effort, if I dive into religion enough and do the right things, I can fix this problem. The truth is, no more than Jonah could on his own escape the belly of that fish can you escape your own sinfulness. In fact, Paul goes to great lengths in Ephesians chapter 2 to say, all of us, before we met Jesus, listen to the word, we were dead in sin. What can a dead man do? Nothing. And then he says, you're saved by grace. You see, not only do you deserve condemnation, you can't really do anything about it on your own. And you're never going to understand grace till you get that. And then number three, you remember God saved you at a costly price. Condemnation, can't fix it, but God could fix it. Two weird things said in this prayer. When he's all the way down in the belly of that fish, he looked toward where? The holy temple. Now, we know physically, obviously, he's, he's wrapped in seaweed in the belly of a fish. He couldn't see. But, but spiritually, in his moment of desperation, he knew where to look. Now, why would he look at the holy temple? Because the holy temple was the place that God dwelt. You had the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. There are a lot of things in the Ark of the Covenant. The thing I think Jonah may have thought about was the Ten Commandments. He couldn't keep them. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a golden lid. It was called the mercy seat. And at the end of that lid were two angels that arched over and, and the promise was, that's where God sat, and that's where God could listen. Why? Because once a year, the high priest would offer sacrifices, would bring the blood in, and pour the blood over that golden lid. What did he do? It literally covered the Ten Commandments. It covered our disobedience. And so that's what, what Jonah's saying is, my only hope is in you. And guys, that's a really cool picture of the real thing, which is Jesus Christ on a cross, shedding his blood. And this is so crazy good. No longer do we need a high priest to offer sacrifices once a year and pour the blood on top of the mercy seat. 
We've got Jesus Christ who shed his blood once for all. And so because of that, the curtain has been ripped open into the temple of God and we can be in the presence of God, experiencing the grace of God at any moment in our life. What a picture. So, if you don't understand number one, number two, and number three, God's grace will never get you. In fact, here's, here's the word. Go ahead and show the, the slide with all three of them on there. I want you to think about all three for a moment. To someone like Jonah, grace was stunning. He never expected God to meet him. To someone like King David who sinned so terribly, it was stunning that God forgave him. For Simon Peter, who denied the Lord, who ran at the foot of the cross, it was stunning that God forgave him. For Paul or Saul of Tarsus, who actually murdered Christians, it stunned him when God forgave him. And my friends, grace should be no less stunning to us. But it will not be stunning unless you get the prerequisites. If you think you've always been a good person and just needed to do better, or that, you know, you've never really been, really been guilty, or yes, those other people across the worship center today, that they needed grace. It's until you and I come to a full appreciation of God's amazing grace, we'll never really get it deep enough for it to change us. So I want us to spend a few moments around the table of the Lord right now. I want you to, first of all, just focus on those three statements. You deserve condemnation. You're incapable of fixing it. And yet, God saved you. And I'm telling you, he paid a very costly price. So in just a moment, we're going to do something new in this service. You probably never heard of this, but we're going to pass the trays, okay? So maybe that makes it stunning in itself. But what, what I want this to be is a, a stunning moment for you and I to remember these things, to in silence, just to meditate. My friends, the purpose of communion is not to leave you in guilt. It's to leave you in celebration. But you'll never truly celebrate until you see where you've come from. And so while we pass the bread... I want you to meditate on these statements that you have written down and also on the screens in just a moment after I pray, we're going to put a, a passage that says everything I've tried to say, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And it's just going to slowly scroll through that and you might want to read along with that. So meditate on how good God's been and then after I pray for the cup, we're going to celebrate what God has done. We can move from severe mercy to amazing grace. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this old story that says so much. God, thank you so much that Jonah looked towards your holy temple as his hope. And today, Lord, as we take of this bread and we remember the body of Jesus that was ripped for us, we remember, Father, that he gave it all. He paid the price of his life. 
And he didn't pay that price because we were really good people. He paid that price because we're not. And God, help us to grasp that so that we can grasp your grace. Bless us through this time of meditation. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. After Jonah had uh, experienced what you and I have just experienced, the scripture says that he shouted, salvation comes from the Lord. Would you shout that with me? Salvation comes from the Lord. Would you shout it like you've just been rescued? Salvation comes from the Lord. There's a warning and there's a promise I want to leave you with before we sing. First of all, Jonah understood that this grace could be blocked. He said, those who cling to empty idols forfeit the grace that is theirs. What's the problem with idols? The problem with the idol, and Jonah thinks he's just talking about stones, but it could be your heart. An idol is anything that you put in the place of God. It's anything that you think would bring you the fulfillment you need when only God can bring it. It might be your job, it might be your career, it might be achievement, it might be money, it might be your things, it might be people. Anything that you're looking to give you what only God can give you is an idol. But sad about our story, I wish, I wish it closed in chapter 2, is that Jonah's not recognizing those subtle idols in his heart of pride and prejudice and a bigger belief in his country than in his God. So be careful. Satan would like to cut you out of this grace by you giving your idols what only God deserves. But here's the, here's the good news. Here's the promise. When you get grace, when you get grace, God gets you. Say that with me. When you get grace, God gets you. See, guys, if we could really grasp what we've talked about today, I would never be the same. You would never be the same. It's like Jesus said, when you discover the pearl of great price, you would be willing to sell anything to receive it. And today, if you understand the depths of where you've fallen and the heights of where God could bring you, if today you're in the middle of God's severe mercies, but you want to experience his amazing grace, if you're at rock bottom today, that's not good enough. You need to cry out. If you'd like us to cry out together, we're going to do that in just a moment. After we stand together and sing, please come so we can pray for you.